Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today. I'm 
Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Raiders of the Lost Ark is over. Andy, why does the floor move? <laughs> did you hear what I did there? It was an indie joke. Indie Andy, because they sound alike. Uh, <laughs> Let me just say, if I had pulled that joke ten years ago, you would not be doing the show with me today. <laughs> <laughs> For nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. The Ark, if it is there, Atanis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on Earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let her go. Indy, we have no time. If you still want the Ark, it has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Happy birthday, Andy. Is it a birthday or anniversary or all of the, I guess it's both, right? It is all of the, it's all of the above. At 11, at 11, we're going to say at 11-11. At 11-11 on 11-11, we did our first episode of this podcast, and it was on the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. Weirdly, we decided that it was going to be a thing that we talked about. Uh, We're going to do the the Raiders series as a way to kick off our conversations about our favorite movies. Wow. And the movie, the podcast then was called Movies. We like because you know this is a movie we like, Pete. So it is a I movie think it was we a like. Fair it. name to start with. <laughs> it was fair. It was. It, it was uh, again. In all fairness, it was rough that we would uh, eventually run into movies that we didn't like, and and had to change. Had to completely rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was that was rough sailing. But we thought it might be fun because so much has changed over the last 10 years. We thought it might be fun to take a step back in time and approach this movie, the first movie and one of our favorite movies, uh, the way we approach movies today. And along the way, if we talk a little bit about 
how we ended up here and and uh, give a little bit of history about uh, the show uh, and our relationship, this might be a good, um, you know, a good chance to give it a shot. What do you think? Yeah, and we've got, you know, an audience. Uh, we've got a few a few people here tuning in. And so, and other people can jump in if they see this live stream thing going and feel free to uh, send questions. But yeah, I think the idea is to just kind of talk about Raiders, talk about the podcast and, you know, celebrate 10 years. 10 years, 10 years of talking about movies. Wow. 10 years. I know. That's a, I was, I was in my 30s. <laughs> sounds so long ago. Uh, it sounds r- really long time ago. What do you want to to talk about? How how you started this with me? Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of made me. <laughs> I mean, so this is this is what happened. So we had been. I mean, you know, we've known each other forever, and I, I don't remember when. I feel like it was probably in the. I don't know, mid 2000s. I was listening to a show called Coverville, which yeah, I don't think right. I knew at the time was a podcast. <laughs> I just thought it was an internet <laughs> radio show or something. I'm not even sure what the term was, but I listened to it and I probably talked to you about it. And you're like, well, you know, I'm doing that. I'm doing these things called podcasts. We should do one. And I just, I waved you off for years. Like, for you years. started doing this in 2006. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it was 2006 you asked me or, or sometime later, but I just, I waved you off for a long time because I'm like radio. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's something I ever really wanted to do. I make movies, man. That's, that's right. That's right. I'm above that. <laughs> I, I kind of looked down on you little people playing an audio. Oh, isn't that cute? The little right. sound sandbox. There you go. Catch on your head. I like I like this character. I like <laughs> I this know. character you're doing. It's I don't a know new this one. character came from. Yeah. But but yeah, then um I, I don't know. I guess finally you you just used it against me, used movies against yeah. me. And you're like, we could talk about movies. We could do movie mm-hmm. reviews. And I think that was Do you it. remember the name? Do you remember the name of the University of Colorado quarterback that was getting high in our dorm that we wrote that we we had to write up? He's, he was the one in that room. It was full of people. And we knocked on the door and they said, who is it? And we said, it's it's your RAs. And they all we heard was spray deodorant. And they opened the door and they said, it's deodorant, man, before we said anything. Do you remember that room? And there were bongs Surely everywhere. Surely that was in the basement because that's there where all bong- of those people were. <laughs> It was right. It was on my floor. That's exactly right. And it was it was there were bongs everywhere and we had to take them. And it was a heartbreaking act of stupidity on their part to lose all their paraphernalia in a place like Boulder, Colorado. If only they had known then where they would be now. Those walks of you and I walking around the dorm, uh, actually ignoring people as best we could. In flagrant yeah. violation of, of dorm rules so that we could talk about movies was actually the foundation of this show. This show is built <laughs> on long walks and contact high. That's very true. Very true. That's 100% walks. where the show All right, started. we're going to walk down the third <laughs> floor now. Walking down the third bit. That's exactly what it was like. That's exactly what it was like. And it delights uh. me that that foundation is our uh is is foundational to our show i think it is yeah. it's central to the to the show's aesthetic um and 
even though I, to my knowledge, neither one of us have actively gotten high on the show. <laughs> I don't think we've, I don't think we've done that. <laughs> um, uh, but it still makes me laugh. Uh, and so, yes, we finally got, uh, we, I finally talked you into it and we, we had this conversation. And back then, you have to remember, and I know there, we've gotten comments about our, uh, laissez-faire act of staying on topic in those early episodes. You have to remember, <laughs> back in the day, podcasting was was deeply personal. It was really just like sitting around a campfire and shooting the breeze, right? It was, it was, you know, they didn't have the whole radio aesthetic yet. We NPR was not publishing all of their shows to, to podcast feeds at the time. And so the expectations were much lower. And that's why we got on. I thought I'm going to ease Andy, Andy into it. We're just going to talk about our lives a little bit. We're going to try and laugh a little bit together. And then eventually we'll talk about a movie that, as it turns out, uh, aged poorly. And so, so the show changed. Uh, it changed over time, and that's that's where we are. I don't know. What do you do? You, you said you have documents. So these documents related to well, uh, our to early Raiders. We'll, we'll get into that. But you know, just mm. I, I also just uh, you know re-listening to Raiders again, our our first episode. I also was reminded how bad I sounded. Like. The audio quality, because, you know, I was on a, this, this has nothing to do with my audio quality, but I was on a Windows machine and, um, <laughs> I, I'm only saying that because I know there were many episodes, generally film board, where I just disappeared because my computer just froze up and crashed or whatever. You know, yeah, I, I know died. that was, that was right. a problem for a number of years. Um, but I was also, you know, I had my little Microsoft little headset that I was using. And so mm -hmm. it was, it was just kind of a plug and play. And it was that little, that little doodad that I'd use. And wow, I was listening back and, and my wife and I looked at each other like, Ooh, wow. I sounded really horrible. Like I'm talking through a tin can. That was, that was rough. And I didn't sound great, but I think over the years, most of the time, you've sounded worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took a while before I said, "You know, I think I'm having fun doing this. I should, I should invest a little we money into maybe getting a microphone yeah. or something." Right, right. Um, so, uh, your when when do you think it took off for you? You say it, it took a couple of years. When do you think you realized I'm gonna? I think I'm gonna show up uh, next week and do it with <laughs> gusto and not have Pete have to remind me. Do you remember? Well, I, Do you remember the you know, turn? I, I think we had fun planning our first. I mean, we didn't plan it in seasons as as cohesively as we do now, but we would plan. I, I know we've gone through phases. Like you know, there was a while where we wouldn't tell our audience anything. It wasn't until we were yeah. releasing, and so it was always a surprise. Like, what are they going to do? And we thought that was clever, but now we're like, you know, it's more fun if people know what we're doing, so yeah. they can. <laughs> actually be ready. <laughs> so, you know, these lessons you learn along the way. But, you know, because we, because we, I think you came at it at, at me saying, I think you were trying to, you know, please me to make sure that, that I would stick around. So we did Raiders. Probably. We did yeah. Charlie Kaufman. We did David Fincher, all things I love, <laughs> you know, so, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it just kind of kept going. And so, I don't know. I guess it was I, I I think that your tactics worked in getting me roped in and and into thinking that this is kind of fun. I, I want to keep doing mm -hmm. this. Before we got to a point where we weren't necessarily talking about movies that we liked so much. So Yeah. Right. So that was good. That was smart. smart right. Strategy. And I held off on Under the Cherry Moon for years. <laughs> you did. I, I know that was hard for you. I know you wanted yeah. to start right out of the gate. Under the Cherry Moon. We're going right. to watch Purple Rain. We're going to watch, what's that other one? Graffiti, 
Graffiti, or is that the album? Graffiti Bridge. Is that a movie or an album? Graffiti Bridge. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> I'm the worst. Just the worst. Do you have, do you, I mean, I know we started off with our, with our favorite series, right? Movies that are in our favorite series. But do you have, do you have any particular high points of the show where you were introduced to something that really has stuck with you? Wow. Um, well, it's, we've fluctuated over the years of doing stuff that we've heard of or have seen. And then stuff that is completely new to both of us. And yeah. you know, I like that strategy, you know, because it gives us a lot of opportunity to do just a bunch of different things. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, I absolutely love talking about stuff that I've seen millions of times. Um, but it is those ones that you that you get to discover, like... I don't know. I always go back to like Ricardo Darín and and the films in that series because I just had such a great time watching his films. Like that was uh, a real discovery for me of a talent I had never even heard of before. And that was right, from a listener right. who has suggested that we we look into him. And so that was very exciting. Um, gosh, uh, what else? Or what else stands out for you? It was when we started getting into some some real t- uh, sort of technicians series, like the black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe, I, I think mm. is one that that really sticks out for me that I just I, I feel like together, we were exploring new areas of film for each of us in some of these in, in some of our choices there. And to bounce between James Wong Howe to Bong Joon-ho to Hayao Miyazaki, like I, I just I find that I learn so much by just having these conversations and and engaging with people in the community and 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 doing it on these films. It's easy to talk about Raiders because Raiders is awesome and and sometimes that's all you need to say. Uh, but it it's it's harder when <laughs> there's a review, folks. That's it. It's awesome. But you know when you start digging into the into the technicians or or films that are deeply outside of your own strike zone, right? Soviet science fiction films. I feel like we 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 learned a ton by exploring those movies and ended up um, I, I think having different kinds of conversations with movies since then because we've we've explored some new territory and of course I also love naughty children like those kinds of things um, those kinds of choices that we end up making I think are fun and frivolous and allow us to have some laughs but also to continue to to learn about the movies that we love and um, and and so there are very few movies as I kind of think back to our experience that that I don't uh, that I just don't appreciate uh, by the time we're finished talking about them. Yeah, I mean, even if even if they're films that you know I'm not as much a fan of, um, you know, I mean, there there are ones that I'm like, Ugh, gosh, I'm, I wish we didn't have to add that to the list. Uh, you know, it happens yeah. every once yeah. in a while, but generally, I, I feel like there is there's interesting things to pull out of each of these films. All right. Well, it's been a fun ten years, Andy. Yeah, can't believe we've been going so long. I know. I know. Pretty soon we'll be a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. And and I have to I have to add in the community. <laughs> you We're read both that too. Right on that. 100%. <laughs> Blacking yep, it out. We black, blacked out on Dimensions 2011. That was a rough low point um in that in that series. Don't even remember can't, it. Can't, I'm sorry. Can't wait to uh, do the flick chart on that bad boy. New <laughs> new phone. <laughs> Who dis? Okay. Uh, you want to you wanna talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, here's a question for you. Sure. <laughs> we watched this, obviously, in 2011. Have you mm-hmm. watched this between then and now? Yeah, uh, several times. 
Okay. You? Tell me you have. I, not, I, I don't think so. I, but, but what I do is I'll often put, weirdly, I think it's Raiders that I put on most frequently. Okay, I take that back. Um, I watched it. Okay, I watched it in November for this. I watched it in 2015. And then I just watched it again yesterday. So three times where I actually sat down and watched it. Now, I it is a movie that I'll often put on like the, the series during Thanksgiving or something. Like I'll just put it on to just kind of play while I'm cooking. So sure, I don't sure. always pay attention, to, you know, but I like having it on. This is one that's just very easy to have on and I can be glancing at it over time. So it's been on a number of times, but I've only... Um, at least as far as uh, since I started using Letterboxd, I've only watched it once um, since 2011, and that's 2015. So, you know. That's amazing. That's amazing to me. I It was actually, I, I watch it um, often because I have people in that come in and out of my life who haven't seen it, and I feel like it is my duty, nay, my responsibility to introduce them to this movie, you know, friends of my kids, that sort of a thing. So I've I've put it on several times. The most recent time I put it on, like start to finish, it was, I think, last year. And we were at a rental house and the rental house had no streaming system, no nothing to watch this movie. But what they did have was a giant, remember those cabinet, like probably at your grandmother's house, a great big cabinet TV with a very small screen in it. <laughs> yes. It was color. It wasn't black and white, but it was connected to a VHS tape cassette player. And so the last time I watched the movie before that, of course, was on my big giant TV and it was beautiful and the sound was great. And this time was how I remember watching it like in the dorm was, you know, putting the, <laughs> the VHS tape in as the tape was dying and it was all, you know, it was all uh, sort of infected looking. But we got through as a family, we watched the whole thing and it was tremendously satisfying tremendously satisfying because i've seen the movie so many times in that format small screen compressed four three you know not letterbox like it was it was so satisfying just to live through that memory even as it was deeply dissatisfying to watch what that tv does to that movie i had a fantastic time so silly all right, so are you telling me that I watched it wrong this time, that I actually should have gone back and, like, watched a, a VHS <laughs> to, like, really have, relive the experience? <laughs> I'm I'm actually not. I'm Believe it or not, I'm not saying that to you right now. I'm just telling you I had a good time with it, um, and it was, it was funny to me. I will also say I'm not going back and getting the tapes of all of my favorite movies. Please, <laughs> let's not assume. Let's not assume that. But I do uh, very much enjoy the experience of of kind of reliving that part of how I watched this movie because uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, so that was the last time. And since then. I actually haven't watched the movie straight through, uh, but I have gone back and watched a lot of the extra features that have been on the, the that were released on the re-release. And I, I have the iTunes or the Apple TV version of it now, and it has a bunch of new, I, I shouldn't say new, but repurposed, you know, um, special features on it. And so just, you know, today I was watching the retrospective and the making of and and um, the, the melting faces. And, and that has been a very satisfying way to relive because I, I sort of feel I, I have such an affinity to those filmmakers at that age, right? They were young guys. We are older than they were now. When they're making that movie, right? Or we are older now than they were then when they made this movie. They were just clumsy kids. And, uh, and I find that 
that that makes me happy. Yeah, they accomplished a lot. And obviously, like re-listening to that first episode, that was definitely something that, uh, you know, that took us at that point as well. You know, the the quality of the effects and how well they hold up and all the melting and everything and just the, you know, the, the fun filmmaking techniques that they would use back then of figuring out, you know, if we undercrank this and, and put blow dryers up on his face and just kind of slightly move it, it's going to look like his face is melting when you play it back regular yeah. speed. And yeah, speed it up 240 times. Uh, and uh, that was that was really fun footage, especially to watch it melt in real time, like the the actual behind the scenes footage and watch them take 10 minutes to slowly start to melt the face and and then realize what it actually looked like um, was, was really, really fun. You know, and the way that I mean, Tot melts, but then the way that the uh, the German, like his head implodes, like they all they all do something different, mm-hmm. and it was just it was fun seeing what they were doing, and then like the tank work with kind of creating the kind of the swirling clouds that was very big in the seventies and eighties. You know, kind of finding right. the ways to kind of put different liquids into water to kind of create those cool cloud formations. I mean, it's it's really just uh, spectacular stuff all through this. Brian's asking in the chat room, he's asking what your favorite set piece is in Raiders. Do you have a thought? It, what, rewatching it, I was like, this really is just like one giant chase <laughs> from beginning to end. It really just goes and goes and goes. It's, it's pretty spectacular. Like, there's so much stuff going on here. It's, it's really hard to beat that opening. Like, I feel like this opening for the film is just is so iconic. Like, every bit of it is, is just a delight. So it's hard for me to beat that. Um, the truck chase would probably be second and all of the bit at the end would be third. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of like, I don't know, the map room is way up there for me, but I think that's also because of, of John Williams's music, which I think is just, um, I just think it's iconic. I know, I don't know if you're. Your thoughts have changed on John Williams in the past 10 years, but uh, you were, you were a little (laughs) negative. I was. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what's your favorite? Wait a minute. Is it because, okay. All right. Fine. Look, I was just going to make a comment about the music. So maybe, maybe we could say I've matured. Uh, I, all I have to do is hear like, you know that theme the basket chase right that's all you need the basket chase it's it's fun it's funny it's frantic it's uh you know it it ends up like building all this great intensity to this punchline that is a real gut punch and you know if you've seen movies before that probably it's going to work out fine but it's not made for people who've seen movies before right it it's made for that experience like the most joyous experience when you get to go on the ride and really believe that something horrible has just happened and the the it's just it's just a little perfect action nugget, right? It's yeah, just, yeah. for me, it's just perfect. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I like the, you know, I like the truck scene. I think the airplane fight scene really mm, leading up yeah. to the truck scene is just fantastic. Again, fun. It gives the chaos of Marion in the, um, you know, in the cockpit and, you know, he's fighting the impossible threshold guardian. And then the resolution of the propeller is uh, it's it's just too much. It's just too much in all the best ways. So that that I think would be my second. And I'm I'm a real fan of discovering secret rooms. So when you talk about the map room, that's right there completely absolutely paired with the fact that they actually find the the room where the 
Ark of the Covenant, and they're able to get in it and throw the torches down that whole sequence with the snakes. Yeah. Oh, it just, it's really, it's creepy. It absolutely sticks with me. So um, that's, that's got to be a real high point. And it keeps going. And that's what's so exciting about that yeah. is like they, they discover it, they get it out only to have their rope taken away because once again, Belloc has, has taken it away from him mm-hmm. and then tosses her or they toss her down. And then he has to use a statue to like break through a wall because he figures out where all the snakes are coming from. There's an opening back there. Yeah. There's a lot of logic problems that I have with all of this, but still. That's incredibly exciting, the way that that whole sequence kind of continues through all of that. It's a comic book, right? It's a dime store novel. It's just, it's a perfect little adventure. Yeah, that's why I can let it go. Because it's like, how are these asps, like, so specifically, they know, well, one, they're they're crawling through these holes that are, like, midway up the wall. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I don't think snakes climb up the walls to get through. They don't. They don't climb... Well, maybe maybe they do climb into the walls that way, but they'll never get out, which leads to my first question. What do they eat? Well, that's, like, yeah, it's like, there are no rats been in this or place? mice in there. Right? <laughs> what this are they just, eating? It's a cannibalistic room of ass. Right. They just apparently. eat each other. Yeah, exactly. This is, I, I would actually I like know. to see the DreamWorks animation version of just in the asp room. Let's just see what, what goes on <laughs> in the asps or in the asp room. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, so, the um, but also the other issue I have with that that is very comic booky, and this is why it's okay, is like once they burst through, and and Karen Ellen goes over there, and all of, it's like it's like a haunted house with all these dead bodies like jumping at her and grabbing her and stuff, and I'm like it's so silly, but it's fine, it's fine. Is it really? I mean, when you're watching it's, it, is it silly? It, or is it only yeah. silly when you're talking well, it's about it? Because on a you hear all the noise, like the music, oh, like <laughs> as they're coming at her. It's like, geez, they really are playing this up. Like they really do. And it's it's fun. Um, but again, it it works in context of that world they're creating. Yeah. Okay. Tell me why I hated John Williams. You said that he reuses his music over and over, and you said that you bet that you could take um, some music from Superman and put it in here and I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> God, I was an ass. <laughs> you're, you're very cocky about I, that. I, I think I could, I, I think I might, I might stand by that. You have to admit, John Williams has a certain tone, a thematic sort of sensibility that is very John Williams. Yes, but like more so than many composers, like, like he creates such iconic themes within his music that it would be very hard to pull Superman's music out and put in here or Star Wars or any of these things that are big, iconic or yeah. Harry Potter or whatever. That's like his cocky. iconic themes are so iconic to the film project that they're in that you just couldn't like swap them around. I don't remember if I talked about this at the time. I don't remember if I said it when we were doing the show, but I I have a feeling that I had just read an article or watched some documentary about how John Williams has such a massive like team of people who work for him, of musicians who work in and around him, that he'll often come up with just a stretch of a melody and then farm it out to somebody on his team to fill in all the orchestrations. Well, that's most and I, composers these days. They, I, well, they'll have their orchestrators come in. And... I know. And I, I took that very personally. I was very I upset about it. I did. And I think that I allowed that to influence my opinion of John Williams at the time. I am not uh, too big of a man to, to <laughs> admit that I have since learned of the works of Hans Zimmer. <laughs> 
and realize that he has taken that entire model to a whole oh, new yeah. level. That's, that's and exactly I, what the, uh, yes. the remote remote control is. That what their, his company yeah, is called? Exactly. Yeah. And I have now realized that I need to relax a little bit. Yeah. So I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm really okay. And I also, you know, I, I recognize talent. I think that John Williams has a career. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, he, I think maybe, he's got something. Maybe less in something. front of him than than behind him. But at the time, he was rocking it. So, <laughs> yeah. I think and to great. Brian's point, yeah, Bernard Herrmann uh, also. The, I mean, I, I think it is a composer thing. I think that they will have a feel to their music. Their music can certainly have a tone. I mean, James Horner certainly did that and reused a lot of his his stuff. Yes. Like the the four note, the famous four notes of James Horner, the dilidi, that's yep. everywhere. Dilidi, yeah. So, but yeah, it's I, you know, I I don't mind that, especially when they are the type of composer that's developing themes. I think we've weirdly, I don't know why, but have moved away from iconic themes in music these days. I think a lot of people, uh, filmmakers really feel that it's dictating the emotions in the scene. And I don't necessarily think it is. I think it's enhancing. Um, but a lot of people seem to, you know, take umbrage with that. And so want to, uh, find different ways to do music, which is fine. I love that music too, but, um, I, I don't know. I, I love a good theme. Well, you do. You're a fan of a good theme. I, I don't take umbrage with that argument at all. I think it's sort of a frustrating one because I feel like the isn't the experience of a movie the total package. I don't mind if music is manipulating me in, a, 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 in certain ways if the movie's good, you know. Edits manipulate you. Uh, the yeah. shot construction manipulates you. It all camera, manipulates camera you. placement and angles like the actors manipulate. That's their yeah. job. That's yeah. their job. So I, I have a hard time putting a whole lot of blame on on music. Yeah. Um, a lot of people do, though. All right. OK, so I've got another point that we didn't talk about so much. But as I was rewatching Raiders, I really hit this point at the beginning where I'm like, gosh, this Indiana. I don't I don't know if I like him anymore <laughs> at the beginning of the film he goes to see uh marion uh at her dad's bar in in nepal and they have this conversation about what he did to her 10 years ago and it was something awful and he's just like it's in the past we're we're moving past that now i need you to help me out and i was like did he like take advantage of her when because she was just a kid so she was she like 16 or something and he's like you knew what you were doing I'm like this is like really gross like this is a really horrible conversation at the beginning of the film that we're having with indiana jones and marion about like what he did to her when she was a child yeah and i really kind of like was was totally put off by him and that hadn't i i guess i've heard that before but like this time and maybe it's just nowadays i'm just like wow they really took this to a place that's just ugly and gross and then later like marion is just like totally all over him i'm like wow she's like they did not write her character well. They did not do her any favors to make her so um into him with whatever it was that happened ten years ago. It's like Yeah. A, a lot less savory now. A lot less savory. 
interesting. Is that, did, has it changed because you now have an older daughter? Yeah, I feel like it has. I, or maybe it's just because I was like really listening to stuff like this time. And, and, um, and I feel like I might have heard somewhere else, somebody else talked about that. And it's just one of those things that it, usually it kind of like goes past you and you just kind of don't think about it much. And yep. I didn't, I didn't really put it, you know, I don't know. I guess I wasn't really thinking about context of years and everything, but I'm like, I don't know, because at first I thought maybe she was like 18 or something, and and it was like a quote kid, as in just younger than him. But I don't know. As I was listening to it this time, I'm like, gosh, I don't know. I mean, he, he has all these young students that he teaches. Like, what has happened? And here? we already have that. What is the setup for the fact that we have a student who writes, I love you on her eyelids? Yeah. Right. Like, how does one, first of all, do that? And second, <laughs> how does that... How is that a thing that was made okay in his classroom? Like there is a vibe that he's giving off, I think. Um, but but I do think that Karen Allen is. Uh, I think she's fantastic and brassy, and I think if they remade this movie today, that character would sing because they would be able to write some of those, you know, wrongs in the character. It's also not why, why you see Indiana Jones, and that's why I think to your point, you just it washes over you because the scene is over quick. She he need they needed a quick setup to get the the medallion in their hands, and that was it. It's. It's kind of sloppy screenwriting. Like, why? I, I don't even know that they necessarily need it in the story. Well, it really was just to get them, get him and Underwood separated. They haven't talked to each other for 10 years because of her. Like, that was really right. the setup for their lack of conversation. But they could have and should have come up with something different. And I know it's the 80s. I know it's the whole thing. They were less concerned about how they how they crafted some of these characters um, in these films. And... um it's just, it's like thinking about that. I'm like, gosh, I wish that just that, that, that little bit wasn't in there. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I know. This is a great question. Brian asked the question, where, where do we stand on the uh, love interests across the series? So we've got Marion uh, Ravenwood. We've got Willie Scott. We've got now the, what's the blonde in Last Crusade? Yeah, Last Crusade. Elsa. Thanks, Brian. Brian's handing He's us on all it. this information. I know. And then we return to Marion in the fourth film. Right. So favorite love interest in the franchise. So to me, it's it's Marion. And, and I think I may be forgiving a lot of the weirdness in their relationship uh, to, to make that happen. But also because I think Karen Allen is so good. Like, she's so good at playing this sort of, like, at playing just the kind of role that needs to be playing opposite of Indiana. And you can totally see how good she is as soon as you watch the next movie, who where she's just, Kate Capshaw is... Or I should say the character, Willie Scott, is nonsense next to Indiana Jones. And it, it takes away from his adventure. And that movie. Was... That's why I like her in that, because she's so different from him. Wait a minute. Are you telling me right now? Whereas whereas Marion is exactly the same as him. OK, it's a different vibe, right? When they're when they have that same sort of adventurous spirit, then it's much more competitive and not damsel in distress. And I tire of damsel in distress. No, I, I agree with that. And I'm not saying that that Willie's my favorite, but I am. I'm, I think it that sounds like that's what you just said. No, no, no. I'm just I saying think you said it there's... on the record here. Ten years, our birthday episode. <laughs> Willie Scott is your favorite femme fatale. Uh, not even femme fatale. I don't know what I'm talking about. Is your favorite female 
character in any movie ever. Because I know Steven Spielberg's a fan of the show, and so I just want to make sure he knows Kate's great, Steve. She's great. We love her. <laughs> it was written rough, and it was a dark time in marriage. It was a dark time in both yours and George's lives. We know. No, we okay. understand. Yeah, we get it. I, um, I mean, Marion in the first film is still my favorite. I, I like what they did with Elsa, and actually really enjoy that the way that that relationship resolves at the end of that. Like, I think that's such a strong resolution at the end of Last Crusade. I think that they. Like, I have a problem with what they did with Marion in the fourth film. And I do think I, I have issues with some of the things that they did with Marion in this film. Like, I, I like her at the beginning. She's used as kind of that ploy with the with the blowing her up. And then he leaves her there. And I get it. It all makes sense. It's an interesting twist in the story. But also, it's just like, uh, I don't know. Like, he obviously hurt her in the past and then she so is like willing to forget him and just go along with him uh the rest of the time and as and i guess i just struggle with that but well i struggle now i never did i don't know what's happened to me in these yeah, past I 10 know. years but geez. check me out i like uh john williams now who knew <laughs> okay so that's love interest can we talk about uh sidekicks okay um uh, let's see we've got sala Yes, John Rice Davies. We've who got short is round. Fantastic. Short round, who, okay, awesome. That's a, that's a tough call right there. That is tough. Yeah. We've got Dad. That's Dad. another tough call. I know. And then we've got uh, Shia LaBeouf. I think that's an easy one to just. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't even look. I didn't even bring up the, the list for that. Yeah. Uh, I. I feel like, yeah, it's it, it's rough. But for me, as much as I love Sala, I really do. Uh, I think Short Round was a level up from that. And I, I think Sean Connery was a level up from Temple of Doom. The relationship between father and son delights me on this yeah. adventure. It just delights me. And so um, I, I think Henry Jones was a great addition to that movie. And... You know, uh, and and this is a good this is a good question that Brody. Where do we put Brody? Because Denim Elliott, I remember we had some issues with Denim Elliott as Brody and what they did to change his character over the course uh, of four movies. They did him dirty. By the time we get to the third movie, oh, like he's fine here. He's he's a great mm -hmm. supporting character who's there to kind of get him on his way. By the time we get to the third one, I mean he is just uh, kind of I don't know. He's a buffoon, and it very much frustrates me with what they how they kind of turned him. Totally agree. They did Denholm dirty, but but not Allison Duty. They did not do Allison Duty dirty. They did Denholm dirty. <laughs> Say that five times. <laughs> did they do Duty dirty or Denholm dirty? They did Denholm dirty. Denholm dirty, Duty no. <laughs> okay, enough of that. So four movies, right? Yes. So there was this point where, you know, as we were developing our show and coming up with grand ambitions, we're like, we should write a book. We should do the next real book <laughs> and come up with this whole thing. So, you know, I had written like an essay on this movie because, I, I, you know, there were going to be certain movies that we were going to have like essays and others. We were just going to do a bunch of silly stuff like like infographics. There were going to be a ton of infographics. Yeah. Right. So I can't believe that. I pulled up. The uh, I, I did a whole spreadsheet. Of course, of course you did. I don't know if I sent it to you or just told you about it, but no, I did 
an exploration of the people who have worked on the four Indiana Jones films. I was trying to figure out who are the ones who have worked on every single film, all four films. Okay, I you did tell me about this. This means something now. I'm going to tell you there. It's more than you think. There are ten people who worked on all four films. Uh, naturally, Harrison Ford. You know, you know. Tell me who. No, I was just going to say Harrison Ford. That yes, counts. Like you're right. right? We got to talk Ford about. Did work on all. Good job, Denim Elliott. Like I've got two. <laughs> Denim Elliott. Really? Did he? Was he not that in was all your, four of them? That was your second go-to. Interesting. Am I wrong? Interesting. He only appeared in two. Man, I picture him in all of them. The first and the third. He was not in he was not in Temple of Doom. He was not in Crystal Skull. Not in Crystal Skull. In fact, he might have did he die before Crystal Skull? He died on in 1992. Yeah. So so he died before like, in Ibiza. Not long after the third one. Ah, oh, Denel Melliot. Remember him in Noises Off? Might have been his best movie. God, he was funny. I don't remember him in that movie. Okay, so you've got Harrison Ford. So you got one of the ten. Okay. There's, you seem to be struggling now. There's, there's, it should at no, least I... be two really obvious ones. Well, Steven Spielberg. Thank you. And? Okay. And? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you share this with me? The, the no. thing? Is, is, is like George Lucas included yes. in that? George Lucas, okay. yes. Oh my okay. gosh! Well, I don't, you know, by the I know he, he I just story. Have, so he's got story credit story on by, all right? four, executive producer credit on all four, and then um, does the same go for what's his name? Uh, uh, who was on the uh, Kaufman? Philip Kaufman? No, Philip Kaufman. Um, he um, he got character credits. Interestingly, for the third and fourth movie. Interesting. I, I don't know how he must have fought for that to get it for the third and fourth films. Okay. So now, now what are we talking about? Are we talking about actors or? I just, I, so, so hold on. Steven Spielberg directed all four and John Williams interestingly, was a tourist at the airport uncredited in Temple of Doom. <laughs> okay. George Lucas has story credits for all four executive producer credits for all four uncredited film editing for Raiders and Temple of Doom and uh, Last Crusade on Temple. He also played a missionary uncredited outstanding and then for crusade and crystal skull he did get character credit also uh just like philip kaufman did okay uh, all right so we've got those big three next up uh let's see we've got uh you said john williams yes john williams composed the music of all four correct okay now i think am i am i gonna get hosed on um who was the cinematographer you're gonna get hosed on that dougie slocum but it was, but, but it, uh, Slocum, and that was, he did three of them, right? He did, he did not three do and then he died. Four, yeah, he but died. They right, brought right, back, okay. they brought back the person for the fourth one um, who did everything they could to kind of capture that Dougie Slocum look for the fourth one. That Dougie, Dougie, that sweet Dougie, sweet Dougie, Dougie Slocum, Slocum sauce. Doug Slocum That's right. sauce. That's right. Okay. All right. And we, I said John Williams. You said John Williams. So you've got four. So that so I've already said that. Okay, I've already said there are ten. Yeah, ten. Yeah, and they're all they're gonna are they all? I I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna. You know I'm terrible at trivia, I, man. I this is why it's fun. Uh, editing. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Kahn edited all four all of the films. Four of the films. Okay. Now if Michael I Kahn. say, oh, that's just my snake. That's just my pet snake, Reggie. Pet, pet snake, Reggie. Right. 
Jacques. Who's Jacques? Jacques. Who is Jacques? He was another uh, one of his uh, buddies. Spielberg's buddies. Who produced the film, uncredited second unit director. <laughs> God, Frank Andy. Marshall. Frank, Frank Marshall. Of Marshall. course, that was Frank yes. Marshall. My pet he snake was executive, ready. Yeah, exactly. He was executive producer of the second and third films. He was uh-huh. the second assistant director on the London sequence in uh, Temple of Doom and played a tourist at the airport uncredited in Temple of Doom. He was second unit director in Last Crusade, and he was just straight up producer for Crystal Skull. So that's Frank Marshall. So we've got uh, one, two, three, four, five. We're halfway there. Oh, six. We've got Michael Kahn. So we're a little over halfway. All right. Next up. So far, this game sucks. All right. This, what's this next? game is what it's all about. <laughs> this is so exciting. Uh, next up, this is going to be a tricky one for you. Ted Grossman. Ted Grossman. Do you have any idea who Ted Grossman is? That name rings a bell. I'm not going to lie to you. The name does ring a bell. What did Ted Grossman do? Did we talk about him on the original show, Ted Grossman? We. Uh, I'm no. going to guess. Can I, I, I guess he, he was up. in. I'm going to guess stunts. He is a stunt player. Um, we see him pop up in the first film as the Peruvian porter. He's the one who pulls the 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 leaves aside and reveals the statue and then goes, ah, and runs off screaming. <laughs> That's Ted Grossman. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. He's just straight up stunts in the second film. He plays the deputy sheriff in Last Crusade. And... What I think is genius, and I'm sure that Spielberg did this on purpose, he plays, again, the Peruvian porter in The Crystal Skull. And I love that they brought him back to, once again, play that character <laughs> all those yeah. years later That's in Crystal fantastic. Skull. So he ended That's up fantastic. having a chance to to uh, return to that. So, And he plays okay. a dead FBI guy in The Freezer in The Goonies. Oh, outstanding. That's Ted Cruz. He's Grossman. really... Yeah, he's really crossing genres. Yeah, so but okay. very much a, a stunt guy is his main thing. You're right. And my that. hunch is he's probably in all of the Spielberg stuff, right? I mean, he was probably stunts on a bunch of stuff. If he's in that crew, right? He was, he, what, he probably did Jaws. He probably did Star Wars. He probably did, yeah. you know, all A little bit stuff. of everything. A little bit of yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah, okay. Very much so. Okay, so what are we at now? Like eight, seven, seven? Uh, I think we're at uh, seven now. Continue embarrassing me in my lack of trivia. Next up, if I just say sound designers, does that give you any name that you want to say? Andy Nelson? No, that would be re-recording mixer. Oh, right. He's a re-recording mixer. Although, this person also was the re-recording mixer for Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. <laughs> so it doesn't help. <laughs> sound designer. It's, think of the Star Wars sound designer. If I say Ben, you say... Bert! I say Bert! I always say Ben! Ben, ben Burt. Burt. Ben Burt. Yeah, yes. sound designer for all four films all that we recording mixer for films. the middle two. And and also sound for, you know, everything else that we love. Yes, exactly. Next up, we're getting into uh, the weeds a little bit here. Uh, not really, but this is getting into ILM. We're looking at Paul Houston. Okay. Paul Houston was a model maker at ILM for the first film. For the second film, he was chief model maker. For the third film, he was the matte model artist. And then for the fourth film, he was a digital artist. Really interesting career transition for Paul over the course of the years. Wow. From models to mats? Okay. Well, yeah, I know. From models to digital. Like, he actually goes, yeah. like, he does the full evolution moving into the digital world. 
Yeah, he did good. He did good yeah. work. All right. And last but not least, and this is one that I just, I, I find kind of sweet. Okay. It's Jane Bay. Have you ever heard of Jane, Jane Bay? Jane Probably Bay. not. Jane Bay was Mr. Lucas's assistant for all four films. Oh. She was technically his executive assistant for the last film. So did she... But isn't that nice? She's been with him all these years. Yeah, as his assistant. And so she probably worked on all the Star Wars movies and... Right, she's Probably. been with him all this time? I would think. Fantastic. Busy career uh, helping George out with whatever he's working yeah. on, I guess. Jane Bay. Yeah, look at her. There she is. Yeah, Adventures of the Young Indiana Jones, Red Tails, Star Wars Clone Wars, Indiana Jones, the Star Wars films. Uh, yeah, all of it. But not before 1980. So her first thing was Empire. So she did not work on him on stuff with him pre Empire. Okay. So that's it. Those are the ten people who can say they worked on all four Indiana Jones films. Fascinating. Just that could have been fascinating. The highlight of the book, Pete. Everybody could have would been. have everybody would have jumped right to that for page. that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure glad we didn't write that book. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just brought her up on IMDb, and there is one credited photo to her. Now, the photo is a photo of Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman during the birthing scene of the twins in episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. And she is credited Jane Bay and Aiden Barton. Jane Bay and Aiden Barton. Are they, is she like the robot or was she, I think it's a mistaken credit because she's definitely not one of the infants. Unless <laughs> maybe there are she two. is. Maybe, maybe she is. She, maybe they, it's a different Jane Bay. It could be a different Jane Bay, but it's on her IMDb page. I think somebody uh, mistakenly credited that. She could enough, be doing the voice. That. I wonder if she does That's the what voice I was thinking. of. Uh, what is that nursing robot name? The, the nursing robot. It's, um, mm -hmm. oh, I know it. Um, what this is, is going to be a hell of a pull if you can she, find it. Because she goes, um, oh, what does she say? She says, oh, I can't remember, but it, it sticks in my head, that cute little cooing noise that the alien robot says. Mm -hmm. Oh, she, oh, oh. She. <laughs> oh it's, it's weird. It's one of those things that pops in my head sometimes and I find myself just saying it. Is that weird? You just can't can't get it out of you. Yeah, that is that's weird. That's weird. Uh, okay, it's the midwife droid. Is the Croon Tan B machine? That is the name of that droid. Oh, I'm so glad Born you in have the, that in, at Polis Massa Base. That's right. Well, well done. Well done. Your mm -hmm. encyclopedic knowledge of. Oh, she goes here. I got it. I got it. Ready? Uh huh. Yeah. Uba. Uba. <laughs> That's what she says. Oh, this just Ooh, got bah. weird. You've done that to me. I probably have. <laughs> I, it's a weird thing that I do when I'm like yeah. trying to calm a situation. Yeah. Uba. Uba. Wow. Don't makes you feel me think calm I'm already? Tense. I am tense around you way too often. <laughs> as familiar as that is. All uh, right. Uh, can can we just talk briefly about just just before we wrap up? I'm interested in in talking about specifically about Indiana Jones or about Rage of the Lost Ark. Things that these actors have been up to since we recorded our show about them. Oh, okay. what do you think about that? Well, Harrison Ford has been getting grumpier and grumpier. 
He sure <laughs> has. It, the year that we did this show, I don't know if it, it had been released at the time, but in, in terms of perspective, uh, the year we did this show, uh, Cowboys and Aliens had, had released. He played Woodrow Dollarhide, Cowboys wow. and Aliens. Yeah. He, he then went on in 2013 to do 42 uh, and Paranoia. Oh, we talked about that on the film board. We sure did. And Ender's Game. Uh, he played uh, Ooh, Colonel We sure Graf. didn't talk about that one on the film board. Oh, slow your roll there. It's it's It has issues. <laughs> Expendables 3, Anchorman 2, uh, 2013 and 14, um, Age of Adeline in 2015, and then, of course, Star Wars The Force Awakens uh, as he gets into that one. I don't think I knew he was in one of the Expendables movies. Expendables 3. I had he was no drummer. Idea. That's crazy. Yeah, which was weird because he had already made the transition to geriatric action hero. Yeah. And then he comes back to do, you know, in the Expendables. I sort of, once you hit an Expendables movie, I kind of expect your career to just go that direction. But he came back as Rick Deckard in Blade Runner 2049, like Secret Life of Pets 2. He was Rooster, the voice of Rooster. And then, of course, uh, Rise of Skywalker. He lives. He's also had. He also had uh, Call of the Wild. He played John Thornton in Call of the Wild, and and I, I feel it's our duty to at least acknowledge that he is currently filming Indiana Jones Five, to be released in twenty twenty three. Oh, so that's Harrison Ford. Do you have any any opinions about Harrison Ford? So that be, we have to now we have an opportunity to do that as a bonus episode. I'm just saying. Oh yes, yeah. Oh, hundred oh, percent. Wow. All right, Karen Allen. Karen Allen. Karen what is, Allen. What is the owls two, up to? 2011. So she didn't do anything in 2011, but she did the ten, the Tin Star, made for TV movie. She did an episode of Blue Bloods uh, in 2014. Uh, Bad Hurt. She played Elaine Kendall in Bad Hurt, uh, which is 2015. Never heard of it. Year of the Sea, Colwell, 50 States of Fright. Um, she played Sheriff Stallings in 50 States of Fright. That was Sam Raimi's Quibi show. <gasps> oh, Andy, you know how my heart swells anytime we get to talk about Quibi. Uh, I wanted to get that in here because I knew that would yes. up the rating of this show at least a yep. half a star for you. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And then he did or she did. Uh, let's see what she got coming up. She's got a case of or a stage of Twilight in post-production for 2023 and unsinkable. She plays a character named Nancy Smith, which is currently filming. So she too is busy, uh, you know, doing a lot more TV guest stunts, that kind of a thing. But uh, she's busy. How yeah. about have you seen anything from Paul Freeman? He, of course, played Belloc in uh, Raiders. I know that we talked about uh, him in Hot Fuzz a little bit after this. We sure did. We sure did. Other than that, I don't know. You know, it was interesting. So he, in 2011, uh, he had a vi viral, a short that came out in 2011, Hard-Boiled Sweets, A Fantastic Fear of Everything. Do you remember that one? That was uh, Simon Pegg. It was. It was Simon Pegg. And um, uh, so he was in that. The Hollow Crown TV series, Strike Back TV series, After Death, The Bible, The uh, Getaway. He played The Man. Trimming Pablo. Uh, he played Pablo Picasso, Trimming which Pablo? is a short. Yes, it's a short. Uh, Trimming Pablo. You kind of know it's it's in the it's on the tin, man. You know where it's going to go. <laughs> Uh, sadly, we talked about Hot Fuzz, but it doesn't actually count in this review because it came out in 2007. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess. You're yeah. Right. So, 
Okay. So he has got a couple of things coming up. Dark Heart Manor, he, he is completed, does not have a release date. And uh, The Man from Rome, he plays Father Pharaoh, and it's filming right now for a 22 release. So that's Paul Friedman. It's fun to see him still at work. Yeah, he's great. Keep him busy. Ronald Lacey. We're getting into a, a few sort of deeper. Ah, deeper the old lace. He's dead. It is. Now, he, he died very short list. long before yeah. this, we started our podcast. He never had the opportunity to subscribe. Very short yeah. list. Yeah. So he did some TV. He was in uh, Buckaroo. He was in Buckaroo Banzai. Yes, he was. Absolutely. The last thing he did was Angeli Smerti in 1993. That's the last thing that he was credited as uh, having done, even though he died in 91. So, Did we talk about the fact that he played a Gestapo person in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? I don't feel like that came up. You know, we... We didn't talk about that. No, you're right. You're right. We did not talk about that. He was also in there. That's funny. Shame on us. How about John Rice Davies? Big, big questions arise from John Rice Davies for me. Isn't it Reese? John Reese? Reese. I'm sure it is. I think he likes you saying Rice. He likes it when I say it that way. Yeah. You can't say it that way. No, I can't. I know he's always working, but... Honestly, other than like the Lord of the Rings stuff, which came out long before the, um, we started, I can't think of a single thing I've seen him in. He has done a lot, and some of it is very sort of relegated to very small screen. But he did, um, you know, Ferocious Planet. He was a TV. He's done some narration work. Uh, uh, that was a TV movie. He did Treasure Hunters, War of Resistance. He did an episode of Psych, uh, Missing Christmas TV mo- movie. Um, let's see. Anything else big? Scooby-Doo, Adventure, Adventures, mi- The Mystery Map. Aquaman. Um, he did. He, uh, he was Aquaman. He was the Brian King. Yes. I don't know he, who the Brian, the Brian King, King was, but I know Nobody I saw does. that. But he also did the Shannara Chronicles, uh, oh, which he? was a TV series. Yeah, he did all seven episodes. I loved those books. I know, I know. I thought it was great. Um, Trip Tank, another TV series. Uh, and so he's he's been very, very busy, especially these last few years. He also, oh, the Brian King, wasn't it? The, it was a CG character, right? He was just the voice, right, right. He was like a giant underwater crab thing. Yes. I'm looking at pictures online. I don't remember this scene at all, but it looked like a giant crab thing that came out, out of the ground or something. But just look at all the stuff he has going on that's in pre-production or post-production right now and, and pre-production. He's got five uh, credits in post-production now. One, two, three, four, five, six more uh, items in uh, six more projects in pre-production right now. Uh, he is a very, very, very busy guy. Good for him. Uh, so gl- I really like him a lot. Some of his stuff was actually, he was filming a movie at my house uh at the my <laughs> middle school at my house at my middle school and we saw him there this was he was filming it it would have been in i don't know 83 84 somewhere in there and it was like the talk of school that he he was there with some other people and i can't for the life of me figure out what that would have been now grizzly 2 what grizzly 2 Oh, you know what? That may have been it. I'm trying to think what they would have been shooting. <laughs> because I in know your area. I know that was shot in Colorado Springs. Was um, it Grizzly Two? Was along with Trolls or Troll something? The Jennifer Aniston movie. Troll. Oh well, isn't Troll we'll figured out? Troll. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, it was a big deal. And then let's last. Uh, we have, of course, uh, Denham Elliott, who 
again, passed away. The last thing he did was play Selzen Mowbray in Noises Off, 1992. I, it, it breaks my heart that you can't remember him in that movie. It was so fantastic. You should go watch it right away. Um, <laughs> I'm watching it I right did now. It, I did include Alfred Molina because that's another fun one to talk about, especially when you watch some of the 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 behind the scenes stuff, uh, because he, too, was such a kid, such a kid and has been so busy since 2011. Well, since this movie, but certainly since 2011, he's been doing a ton of stuff. Rango came out. That's that was what anchored us to Alfred Molino in uh, 2011 itself. He spent a lot of time on Law and Order L.A., uh, and then a ton of TV uh, before he ended up into uh, the superhero universe. Yeah. Um, and he's just, I mean, he's just got uh, many, many, many credits to his name. Do you have anything that you look at Alfred Molina and you say, oh, yeah, of course. That's uh, the little Ali Mo. I, I, that's my Alfred Molina anchor. Ali Mo. He, he does. I'm trying to he do doesn't what you like, do. He, doesn't, he just told things. me. No, Ali he just Mo. said, please, yep. please tell Andy, don't ever say that again. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Allie. Hello. I like it when you do it, Pete. I like That's it. Right. I like it when you do I it, listen Peter. To you. Listen to you. Peter. You know, he's one of those people who's just in in so much stuff. I I I gosh, I'm trying to think what I've seen him in recently because I feel like it's he's just always busy. Um he I I guess the one that that comes out comes into my head immediately as the most recent one is his role as the, kind of the counselor or whoever he was in promising young woman Mm -hmm. um that's kind of the standout for me that he had that bit um which was was an interesting part i liked that the way that that played out that was really interesting other than that geez like i i don't think there's a lot in the last 10 years that stand out for me he's the voice of agnar in frozen 2 oh okay um, that's funny. Anyway, yeah, I think that's it. You know, besides having a bunch of uh, a bunch of voice credits, and um, he was in he was the, the, you know voice of of uh, characters in a bunch of TV shows. In addition to guest appearances, he was in yes, just been doing a lot of voice work. Actually, as I as I scroll, there's a ton of stuff that's credited uh, just as voice. Um, which I guess he got into Troll Hunters, and that was the uh, animated show. The animated show. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's in pre-production to Road to Capri right now. So that's that's what they've been up to. How about old uh, old Stevie? Would you tell me? What's he been up to? I mean, in, in 2011, he directed The Adventures of Tintin and Warhorse. That was a busy year for him. And then he did Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The BFG, The Post, Ready Player One, and then, of course, West Side Story uh, coming out uh, very soon. And then he has a film that's uh, in post-production right now called The Fablemans. I haven't even heard of that one. The Fablemans, uh, a semi-autobiography. Oh, this is the the one that's based on his childhood. That's right. Surely hmm. they won't film that in Phoenix, even though he spent <laughs> his childhood here. But why film did here? He, when did we he have really? No I don't. Incentives? I'm not. I'm not sure. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I feel like maybe we should talk about things directed by GL since his work on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait. There isn't anything. That's there's nothing. Nothing. What about Kazdan? Has he ever gotten back to work? Uh, I, he kind of petered out for a while. He did Dreamcatcher, and then he did Darling Companion, 
uh, worked on Star Wars uh, Force Awakens and Solo, a Star Wars story, and then November Road. So, I mean, he's been doing stuff, but he kind of, uh, and then he has a TV miniseries that he wrote the script for called Stay Close. Um, I don't know. He got out of the directing for a long time and um, has just been doing some writing. Um, this November Road project, I guess he is directing. A mob soldier gets involved in the Kennedy assassination, becomes the target of a hitman. So, I mean, you know, he's he's been trying to keep himself going, which is nice. But um, he really seemed to fall off the map for so long. Did you see? Did you see Dreamcatcher? Oh yeah, I saw it in theater. It was garbage. That me too. Me too. That toilet, that was, that, the toilet scene. Yes, the toilet. The toilet scene. Superlative yeah. toilet scene rest, in a garbage movie. Film. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Wow, man, this is why we podcast together because we agree so vehemently <laughs> on scatological, <laughs> scatological content. All those bathroom scenes. Uh, all right. Yeah. yeah, and then yes, he did. Darling, he direct, wrote and directed Darling Companion, which came out uh, in 2012. Diane Keaton, mm-hmm. Kevin Klein doesn't look good. Uh, okay, so awards at the Oscars. Uh, the, the overall, the film had 37 wins, 24 other nominations. It, I mean, it did well considering the type of film it was. Right. Uh, at the Oscars, it was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine Oscars. That seems crazy for this type of film. You just yeah. don't see that. Like, do you see Jungle Cruise getting this? No. <laughs> there were no melting faces in Jungle Cruise. That is where they went wrong. It's Oscar baity. And, and also, they don't have the dark backstory between Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. No, you're right. That's a that's a whiff. So the film won for best art direction, best set decoration, best sound, best film editing, and best visual effects. And uh, Ben Burt and Richard L. Anderson actually received a special achievement award for sound effects editing. So this was before they had that as a separate award. It was just a special achievement award. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for best picture, but it lost to Chariots of Fire. Mm-hmm. Nominated for best director. But lost to uh, oh Warren Beatty for Reds. That's I had forgotten that he he won for that. Yeah. What do you think about that? As Reds, you know. What do you think about Reds? I, you know, it's an okay film. I, I I can see why people like it. There is a lot of interesting elements going on within the film, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not my favorite. Um, but yeah. I, I appreciate that it was a nominee. It makes sense. It's an interesting, in context of everything, it is an interesting uh, film to be in there. So, and I feel like I feel like I need to watch Chariots of Fire again because my memory of it is it's a slog, just a complete snooze fest. I don't think it is. I think it's actually a, just a great, okay. great film. I really enjoy that film. Okay, good to know. I watched it when I watched it, like my memory of it. I've seen it, I think, once, and it was when it came out. Like I was way too young to understand oh, yeah. what was going on in that movie yeah. and appreciate it. So I never saw it again. I think you'd, I think you'd enjoy it. If we do our 1981 series again, we should throw it on the list because I think it's it's worth talking about. Okay, let me finish going through these. So, best cinematography was nominated. Uh, Dougie Slocum was nominated, but lost to Vittorio Storaro for Reds. Um, okay, I don't remember Reds. Uh, gosh, I, I can't remember the cinematography as a standout. Maybe it was. I don't know. Excalibur was up there as a nominee, too, though, and as was on Golden Pond uh, and Ragtime. So I feel like it was a good uh, stretch of nominees. Um, let's see. And then we have um, Best Music. John Williams was nominated, but lost to Vangelis for Chariots of Fire. I can't believe that. I'm Look at me. I've totally turned the corner on John Williams. I can just because, I mean, think about how iconic that music has become. Like the Chariots of Fire music is as iconic. I would, I would say to this day, 
of the five films nominated for best score, those two both have iconic scores that have stood the test of time. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Fine. I mean, I I guess I'll I agree it. with it's that. Raiders, I, and I want Raiders look, to win it's too. Raiders, and that music. I know. But next to you say that now. When we talk about that movie, we'll we'll talk about the music because it's so good. And derp, 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 derp. No, come on, Raiders. <laughs> when you put derp in there, oh, <laughs> that's the instrument they're playing, right? Did I? The I'm really remembering this. Yeah. All right, all right, um, go ahead. I think that's it. I think I covered all of them. Okay, so that's at the Oscars. Uh, well, I'm not going to read all these, but it did uh, do well for itself at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. We love the Saturn Awards. It won Best Fantasy Film, which is interesting. Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Music, Best Special Effects. Paul Freeman was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and Deborah uh, Nadulman was nominated for Best Costumes. Both of them lost, though, unfortunately. Uh, Freeman lost to Burgess Meredith in Clash of the Titans. Um, er, okay, I can't quite remember. Um, I I remember Burgess enjoying Meredith. him in the film. No, I remember I, I I enjoyed him in the film. I just like I'm trying to remember him as a character. Like, would I pick him over Paul Freeman? I just I I can't eh, pick up the shield. You gotta pick up the shield. Wow, you just you're just pulling him from Rocky into there, aren't you? Th- that's what he was, Andy. That's yeah. what he did in that yeah. movie. <laughs> All right. Um, and Best Costumes lost to Excalibur and uh, Clash of the Titans. This is interesting. Excalibur, Clash of the Titans, Dragon Slayer, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Escape from New York. Pretty interesting lineup, actually. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, it's an interesting I, lineup. I'm a fan. So, All right. Can you tell me about the box office? So they had a production budget. Of twenty million dollars, they had another twelve million for P and A for prints and advertising. This, you know, there were still budgets. They kind of just—I I don't know. It's very tricky with the budgets these days trying to find all of these numbers. But I did find it for Raiders, uh, so it was actually a total of thirty-two million or ninety point two million in today's dollars, as far as the money goes. This movie did open June twelfth, nineteen eighty-one. Pete, opposite. Are you ready for this? Yes. Clash of the Titans, <laughs> the re-release of Freaky Friday, the re-release of Herbie Goes Bananas, the re-release of Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. I don't know what Disney was doing, but wow, they were really pushing for all of this stuff out there. History of the World Part 1. That's all the stuff that was released on the 12th. Wow. Wow. That's quite a run. That is a run. Yeah. Was the vault? I think that somebody at Disney said, "Oh my God, the vault door is closing. We need to run these one more time." Yeah, and something before the vault closes, get them in. Well, you know, and then a week later, Herbie rides again. Swiss Family Robinson. It, I wonder if it was a summer thing. Like, were they just yeah. releasing a bunch of things like for the summer? I, I don't know, but uh, yep. God, that's so interesting. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, good good time for the summer, and of course, this film. Let's just say it. You know, did okay for itself, right? Mm-hmm. Film, I, I like to think so. <laughs> the film went on to make two hundred forty-eight point one million dollars domestically, and one hundred forty-one almost point eight million internationally for a total gross in today's dollars of one point one billion dollars. <laughs> the B's in that one. Yeah. Oh, big B. 
Big B. It had an adjusted profit per finished minute of 8.7 million, almost 8.8 million dollars per finished minute. Wow. The profit to cost ratio, 12 times, it earns 12 times its budget. This is number seven on our list of our adjusted profit per cost. I mean, on our adjusted uh, profit per finished minute list. So, I mean, it's way up there on the chart. So, yeah, this is, it, it was the number one film in 1981 and uh you know followed by on golden pond superman 2 arthur stripes the cannonball run chariots of fire for your eyes only the four seasons time bandits we've talked about one two three of those so we've got some more to cover well we've got our work work cut out for us over the next 10 years (laughs) yes we do yes we do fun good movie Uh, how did you what do you what do you think about uh your rating has it changed? You know, I, I have these these issues, but I mean, it's it is such a piece of my childhood and my life. Yeah, and it's a movie that I can just put on and just watch completely uh, in utter pleasure every time. And so it's it's always going to be a five star film. I, I can't imagine it's going to drop at all. So I had a great time revisiting it uh, for this conversation. So I'm, I'm glad, even, even with quibbles, we've had these ten years, so I could finally watch it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, me too. Five stars. Big beating heart uh, for this movie. I, I really love it. And I love sh- watching it with young people. It's still great for me. You know, what's weird. I tried to watch it with my son. And, oh, and do he's I even like, want to know this story? He's like, do I have to? And I'm like, yes, you have to at least start it with us and and then see what you think. And so he's, I said, just at least watch the beginning sequence. And so he did. And then he's just like, OK, can I go now? I want to go. I want to go play my games. Oh, you know, Andy! I, know. I live in this world. Oh, Andy! It's difficult. Andy, it hurts. I don't. Even he's know. never seen it. He and he now. He's has never seen, seen it. He's never seen it. He's now seen the beginning. And uh, yeah, unless I do it as a movie night, I don't think that he is as engrossed as I'd like him to be. So it's frustrating. Uh, it hurts. You've done something. You've done something wrong. I did. I clearly. You did. can't blame the young people on that. All right. Hey, this was really fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, uh, podcasting with me these last ten years, Andy. This has been just uh, one of the real high points, and uh, I'm so I'm so proud of us to have made it ten years really consistently. In large part, thanks to you and your tenacity at making sure that we fill every single week with another movie, uh, barring massive global crisis. Um, we we shall keep doing it. Uh, this has been really fun, and uh, thanks everybody for hanging out with us and listening along. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Oh, how sensitive that was. Wow. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. 
and their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 